Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Welcome to 3CR. This is Green Left Weekly Radio. Good morning to listeners. And in the studio we have... Fergal. Ewan. Ewan. And Lalita. Zane's um, busy today and Dennis is busy with his assignments. So we've got a different team today. So shall we start with the news? Yes. Hospital staff demand release of children in detention. Staff at Lady Cilentro... Children's Hospital in Brisbane have followed in the footsteps of colleagues at Melbourne's Royal Children's Hospital and called for the immediate release of children being held in Immigration Detention Centre. Hospital's Clinical Ethics Fellow Dr Melanie Jensen explained the decision to ABC Radio by noting that staff at our hospital have seen children that have been held in detention centres with post-traumatic stress disorder, attempted suicide, developmental delays, recurrent nightmares, anxiety, related bedwetting, failure to thrive, a whole range of problems. Um, And it's just brilliant, you know, like it's just showing that medical staff, you you know, from Melbourne to Brisbane, not standing for the treatment being, you know, like and acknowledging the harm that's being done to refugees in detention. I just think that people uh, needed someone to take the initiative to lead this thing because we know children are suffering. We know people are suffering. There's the mental health is a big issue and suicidal thoughts are, you know, uh, identified and suicide attempts have been identified as big issues among refugees. So... Well done, yeah. my mates in um, the medical profession. Yeah. Oh, look, can't, can't sing the praises highly enough of the Melbourne hospital staff for taking, you know, taking the initiative and getting this started, and good on yes. Brisbane for following suit. Great. Um, anti-racists drown out fascist politician. Anti-racist protesters drown out the media conference of Dutch Islamophobe Gert Wilde outside Western Australia's Parliament House on the 21st of October. Wilde is in Australia to support the newly formed far-right party, the Australian Liberty Alliance. The ALA used the media conference to launch a number of their Senate candidates that will contest the next federal elections. Australian Liberty Alliance? That's an oxymoron. Yeah. Fergal. That, that's not liberty. They're talking about a white Australia. How can that be right? No, no, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Liberty, liberty for anyone else who you know, fits a specific mould, essentially, yeah. Oh, so there's a lot of asylum seeker news today. Asylum seeker immolate, self-immolates. Kodahar Amini. Yeah, it's an old one. They did yeah. a yeah. memorial for him. Uh, and uh, right, an Afghan asylum seeker who feared authorities were planning to put him back in detention died after he set himself alight on the 18th of October. Amani had been released from Yonga Hill Detention Centre in Western Australia on a bridging visa after more than three years in detention. So the night before his suicide attempt... Kayada stated in a message to advocates, my crime was that I was a refugee. They tortured me for 37 months and during all these times they treated me in the most cruel and inhumane way. They violated my basic human right and took away all my human dignity. They killed me as well as many of my friends such as Nazim Najafar 
Reza Rezae and Ahmed Ali Jafia. Kayada ended his note with a plea, I ask you to stand up for the rights of refugees and stop people being killed just because they have become refugees. Humanity is not, is not a slogan. Every human has the right to live. And I just apologise for my very Australian pronunciation of these names. <laughs> my lack Slow of down, you might get it better. Yeah. <laughs> Slow down. But it, it, it's so sad. And it's you know almost verging on... You, you can, if this was done during a, a war time, it would be war crimes. There should be a non-war crime um, law somewhere where you can prosecute people. This is not just a, a, a breach of human rights. It is a deliberate attempt to kill people, knowing that they will die, knowing that they will suffer. And they'll be tor- it is torturous to, to stay in a, in a prison when you haven't committed any crime. Well, that's right. It's trying to use... It's actually using cruelty, just plain absolute callousness, not just out of negligence, but as a deliberate attempt to scare people away from Australia. It's 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 a hundred percent deliberate. It's part of the tactic. Right. It's yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, an outpouring of support for Abian. Hundreds joined snap protests across the country, and more than fifty thousand signed a petition within days of a pregnant Somali refugee being sent back to Nauru. Abian, as she is known, became pregnant as a result of being raped while in detention on Nauru. Despite being flown to Australia on the 11th of October to discuss a planned termination with doctors, Abian was sent back against her will and without receiving any medical attention. Yeah, it's all a bit fuzzy, that one. You know, it, it's why would a woman who had been raped not want abortion? The, the claim was that she refused abortion. But was she giving counselling? Oh, it's it's just beyond my understanding. Well, I can't understand why people do that. A note was actually what found that had been left by her, indicating saying that she did want the. She never said that she didn't want the abortion. She all she asked for was to speak to a counsellor, mm. and a, there was a nurse there at the detention. While she was in the detention centre, she was kept in solitary confinement on Villawood Detention Centre. There was a nurse there. She wasn't. There was no translator. And so all she wanted to do was speak to someone. It's a traumatic experience. You know, she's, uh, some other articles I've read, you know, she's a mother. So she knows what having a child's like. So it's not, it wasn't just something that she was taking lightly. And no one would take it lightly. Anybody would want to speak to someone. That's just, it's it's just uh, common sense. Human behavior. Normal human behavior. That you want to have, you know. It's a major decision. You want to talk to somebody, you know, discuss how you're feeling. Discuss the issues, debrief, and say, okay, I, I, she wants to be sure that she's doing the right thing by herself and by the pregnancy. So what's the problem here? That, no, that, that, exactly. Mm. And, and, and it's, um, you know, with, with the gagging laws, and this has still come out through the media. That's so, right. You know, and it makes you wonder what else is happening. Yeah, this is just tip of the iceberg. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Good observation. Students demand UTAS go fossil-free. A student occupation demanding that the University of Tasmania divest its $300 million portfolio from the fossil fuel industry has entered its second week. The sit-in outside the university vice-chancellor's office began on the 14th of October and is part of a nationwide campaign calling on the university to do the same. Fossil-free UTAS released a statement on the 19th of October saying... We are here to demand that the university gets off fossil fuels because it will save students money today and because it is the morally right thing to do. Yeah, save the bloody planet for God's sake. That's exactly right. The thing is, you know, it's good that the young people are taking action. It's high time 
more young people put their hand out. There are bits and pieces happening here around the industrial issues like low wages for students and fast food and stuff like that. But that is really good. The uni students are starting to move. We need more university students to you know, put their hand up and say, let's fight this nonsense. Mm. Too right. Amnesty slanders Rojava fighters. Now, this, Amnesty International released a report on the 12th of October alleging civilians living under areas of, living in areas of northern Syria under the de facto control of the autonomous administration led by, party, led by the Democratic Union Party, PYD, are being subjected to serious abuses that enclosed forced displacement and home demolitions. The report said some of these alleged abuses were war crimes. A statement released by the YPG General Command on the 18th of October accused Amnesty of hurling unsubstantiated accusations without sufficient evidence and without verifying eyewitness accounts. Amnesty's gotten up to a few tricks these days, but this is just one. There's another one, but anyway, keep going. A st- the YPG statement examined in detail numerous contradictions in the Amnesty report, including accusing the YPG of committing crimes in places that were not under its control at the time. It also pointed to numerous internal inconsistencies in the report. For example, the Amnesty report alleged that on the 6th of July, the YPG displaced Turkmen civilians from Harman al-Turkmen village. The Amnesty reports the YPG of deporting Turkmen population based on news reports written by well, uh, a journalist called Gaddaf Rajab and published on the Siraj website, a Siraj press website, well known for its links to the Syrian coalition, which in itself is in turn hostile to the self-administration and the YPG. The Syrian coalition and its affiliates have been well-known documented history of committing human rights abuses themselves. The person who documented the report is named as Anwar al-Khattab, who was the commander of an Islamic battalion and was involved in deporting Kurds and looting their properties, the YPG statement said. One more point of the YPG is is that the YPG is made up of 30% of Arabs. If the allegations of the report were true, did these Arabs with us commit the, those atrocities too? If such things were true, would they fight alongside us in Caesar and Kaban? A letter to Dutch parliamentarians by Jonas de Jong, General Secretary of the Christian Political Foundation for Europe, noted that despite speaking of war crimes, the Amnesty report does not report that any civilian has been killed, no cases of rape have been disclosed, and, what, and that many people could return without any problems. The question about the Amnesty International organization I, I brought up was, um, and the way they're behaving in this particular case is they have, on occasions, generally they've been reasonable, but in some cases they act against the victims of this sort of situation. In, in the Tamil question in Sri Lanka, their criticism was um, more of the, the Tamil Tigers than of the government itself. And in the recent report that released by the UN Human Rights Commission, um, they said that, um, you know, it's a good report and we should promote it, blah, blah, blah. And they didn't comment on the U.S. Um, um, resolution, which was totally atrocious. And Francis Boyle, who's a professor of international law, stated this. I mean, this is this is on record, in public record, that Amnesty International is under the thumb of the U.S. So they often have to accommodate that relationship and this is a reflection their view on Rojava is a reflection of that because the US can't can't 
um, make enemies of the of the Kurds because they're trying to play a even-handed role because Russia and China haven't proscribed um, PKK. Australia has, the U.S. has, so they 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 sort of playing this this in between role, which is absolutely disgraced, pure politics. And, and essentially, that you're having a group like Amnesty International, which is uh, look, Amnesty International has done some fantastic things uh, in relation to human rights. I mean, I, what, especially in releasing some of the crimes committed by the Irish and the uh, sorry against the Irish prisoners of war by the British uh, during the 70s and the 80s, but. Uh, this to me just blows my mind, and it obviously shows that they're trying to pander to—is it the, either the Turkish or the to the to the U.S. state by trying to pull aside, um, you know, uh, favor again? Well, by t- trying to turn the tide against the public, you know, opinion against the the Kurds. Um, yeah, this article in itself just absolutely fantastic. There's a lot more detail. Just goes to show why you need to get a subscription to Green Left Weekly. Um, anyway, one final article. A couple of final articles. Students shut down unis over fee hikes. Student demonstrations have shaken South Africa in recent days. Plans to raise tuition fees for the next year caused mass outrage for maintaining apartheid-era barriers for its black populations. Protests on at least five university campuses have escalated and resulted in the arrest of 23 student activists. The protests, which began when students shut down parts of University of the with White Whitwater stand after a tuition hike of 10.5% was announced. A group calling itself the National Shutdown Collective said in an October 20 statement, We, the students of 2015, stand in solidarity with one another to proclaim that we will not be complicit in an endorsement of the capitalist agenda of commodification of education and any oppressions which seek to denigrate our being. We demand, among other things, that the exorbitant fees charged at institutions of higher learning be lowered in line with a progression toward opening the gates of higher learning for all. Now, this is what we need in Australia, not just demand, not just stopping the, uh, fee, you know, the um, increasing of fees like you know, what was done when students took on Christopher Pine when he, you know, with the $100,000 degrees, but actually taking the initiative and saying, we want free education. You know, we, we don't we don't want to keep things as they are. We want them to be better. You know, so we got it. I think um, it would be great to see the student movement come out of the kind of defensive action which it's kind of in at the moment, which you know, trying to stop neoliberalism from you know to further degrading universities and and go on the offensive and and demand free education. You know, like mm. when we get our education, we we contribute to society. Why pay when why pay for something that benefits the society? Hey, there's one other place the students have taken such action. I'm trying to think. I think this is one of the states in the U.S. or somewhere else. I'm trying to think. But this is, this is, this is a good lead, international leadership shown by the South African students. Yes, youth, move. Solidarity. <laughs> yep, okay. And Tamil prisoners on hunger strike. About 300 Tamil political prisoners in 11 prisons began hunger strike on the 12th of October. Many of prisoners have been detained without trial under the Prevention of Terrorism Act. Some have been in jail for up to 20 years. New Socialist Party leader... Oh, you're going to have to tell me off about this, Lali. Vikrambu Kararante... Let me... No, 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 no. His name is... um, Where is it? Okay. Vikramabahu 
Karuna Ratna. There you go. Straight, I'm Australian. What can I say? Has criticised the newly elected Sri Lankan government headed by President... Tell me off again. Hifra Pala Sirisena. Maitri Pala Sirisena. I was just about... That's what I said. <laughs> and Prime Minister Ranil Vikramasinghe. Oh, yeah, that's just what I said too. For failing to release the prisoners and for calling them war criminals. Karante said the ex-members of the LTT in prison are not criminals. They are political prisoners. Um, and, yeah, typical... Uh, yep. S- same yep. story with the IRA. Political prisoners of war. Not criminal, just political prisoners. Political prisoners accused of being criminals. You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. How to Make Trouble and Influence People 2016 Diary will be launched at Friends of the Earth Food Co-op on Friday, November the 13th between 6 and 8pm. Join us at 312 Smith Street for speeches, readings and performances of classic Australian protest songs by Laura McFarlane and Jimmy Ratt. A benefit for Freesia and the Lost Said Ross Biological Reserve, the diary features 366 radical dates in Australian history plus dozens of images and stories. Copies will be available on the night or can be ordered via freecr.org.au. How to Make Trouble and Influence People is a FreeCR supporter. couple of quick announcements. Fogel, go. Uh, tonight at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407, uh, Level 5 Druids House, 407 Swanston Street, is the Red Cinema event. Um, no, step, no free steps to heaven about the Kurdish YPG. There'll be speakers from the Australian for Kurdistan and also the Kurdish Association. That's at 6.30 tonight at the, Social, the Socialist Alliance Resistance Centre, Swanston Street. On the Sunday, on the 1st of November, is World Kobani Day. Um, to, to show solidarity across the world for the Rojava revolution and the resistance in Kobani in particular. And that's on at 2pm, State Library, Swanson Street. And also, uh, next week, on the 7th of November, is the Socialist Alliance Seminar, Racism, Imperialism, Colonialism, Australia's Role in the Pacific Region, at the ETU Building, 200 Arden Street, at 11 o'clock. Um, yeah. It's worthwhile attending to get a bit of context in just the Australia's role in, in I suppose, in the exploitation of Pacific nations. Okay, so shall we go on to the interview? Morning, Sue. Hi, how's it going? Good, how are you? 
I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Okay. Um, we are going to talk to Sue Bolton, who's a councillor at Moreland and also a long-time feminist. There's an important issue that's going around Victoria and probably Australia at the moment and needs attention. Is a woman had been refused abortion in the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne. Can you tell us about the case, Sue? Well, it is a really, really sad case. This particular woman... Uh, presented at the Royal Women's um, asking for an abortion at 13 weeks of her pregnancy and at the time her reasons for wanting a termination was um, because you know she had a suicidal teenager and uh, the relationship with the father of her baby had broken down she had been suicidal herself and had a history of self-harm and she was told there was no appointment available uh, and that she should go privately uh, because of the situation of dealing with her teenage teenager's mental illness um, she missed the deadline uh, with the other with the private abortion clinics uh, where the uh, abortion would be partially covered under Medicare. Um, she couldn't afford the seven and a half thousand dollars um, for uh, the only clinic that does any late-term abortion. So she represented to the Royal Women's Hospital um, and she got eventually got an appointment. But the, by then she was in the late-term uh, of her pregnancy, like after 24 weeks. Uh, the Royal Women's Hospital then made a decision that she would not be... Um, would not be eligible for an abortion through their hospital uh, because it was for psychosocial reasons. Now, you know, really, to look at this woman's circumstances, um, you know, there are many reasons why, you know, she she should have the right to have an abortion. She was in an... She's someone who doesn't have a lot of money. She was in a family crisis... Um, and having to deal with an unwanted pregnancy. And she felt that this pregnancy and having an extra baby when she had no money, dealing with mental health issues for a teenager as well as herself, um, she felt this would tip the family into absolute crisis and she was denied an abortion. And this is a a really... um, disastrous situation because I think when um, abortion law was liberalised in Victoria in 2008, um, people thought that um, a situation like this wouldn't arise, that a, a mother or woman in such a desperate plight would be able to have access to an abortion. I know it's it's really bizarre because pregnancy is not something you can put off uh, because pregnancy grows, the baby grows, um, or the fetus grows. And in in, Australia, in Victoria, it is legal to have abortion up to twenty four weeks, and as long as two doctors approve. And I can't imagine this woman being denied um, a right to abortion by any two doctors, considering all the issues you have pointed out. It's absolutely disgraceful to me. It seems that there is well. I mean, I won't go into the details of this, but every state in Australia has has different laws pertaining to, to abortion. And uh, Professor of, of Obstetrics and Gynecology at James Cook University, Caroline DeCosta, said that 
the inconsistent and inadequate state-based laws are driving abortion tourism in Australia, mainly in Victoria and overseas. And she got some details of people who go overseas and, and try and get abortion. Now, this really, the politics behind this is, is glaring. It's a breach of, of not just human rights, also women's rights that was hard fought and won for the 60s and 70s. So we have rolled back the rights we had won in those years. And I'm just wondering if you have a comment on the, on the right-wing assault on women's rights, especially pertaining to abortion, Sue. Well, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Just one little correction. Up until the, the law change in 2008 means that up to 24 weeks, you, women are meant to have, and it's totally legal, to have an abortion um, without permission of doctors okay. after 24 weeks is when you need the permission two doctors, of two right. doctors which in my opinion still um, creates a problem if yep. you live in a country area there's a Catholic doctor in your town who won't um, refer you for an abortion um, so there's a lot of impediments um, for late term abortion but I think you point to something very real is the fact that the right wing continues to campaign against abortion continues to try and make women feel guilty with by protesting outside um, abortion clinics uh, has my and and the fact that there are some very influential right-wingers who are part of the campaign against abortion in the major parties especially the Liberal Party means that the hospitals are very um, very reluctant to or, or very restrictive in their uh, provision of abortion services. They um, don't train many staff. Um, they they use the argument that oh, it's very difficult to carry out these abortions because there aren't many staff prepared to do it. One doctor interviewed in the age who was nameless, wanted to remain anonymous, said that he was a junior doctor was quite prepared to um, carry out terminations but had never been asked to do it and he said that there were many staff who did want to um, be trained and uh, so that they could carry out terminations um, on request but doctors were not being asked to do it, they were not being trained to do it and uh, this particular panel that denied this woman um, access to abortion um, is a panel that doesn't know, has never met this um, particular woman. And one of the doctors, uh, a, a former um, doctor at Royal Women's, Professor Lachlan de Krepney, who was vilified after he and a team of five doctors carried out a termination on um, a 30, for a 32-week-old uh, fetus, um, you know, a number of years ago, around 10 years ago or so, um, because the mother was absolutely suicidal, was threatening to jump off the roof of the hospital. Um, that, there was a panel brought in after that. And Lachlan de Krepney says that this is a panel who's never met um, the woman, has no real full understanding of their circumstances. And he said that they could be 
these are the most vulnerable women. They might be victims of incest or domestic violence. They might have gone through a traumatic marital breakup or the death of their partner. They could be drug addicted or people who just presented late, not knowing they were pregnant or young girls hiding their pregnancy. These are all the sort of circumstances in which um, women might seek um, abortion, abortion yeah. or so-called psychosocial reasons. Yeah. We need to very real reasons. Yeah, there, there are a lot of issues we need to unpick here. We are running out of time here, Sue. But very quickly, I want to mention for listeners that the Mercy Hospital for Women doesn't even carry out tubal ligation for women. That's how conservative they are because they're allowed to practice their religious rights, um, although they're a public, publicly funded hospital. And the skills at the Women's Hospital has been drained since the 80s. I used to work there. We, we uh, you know, went through a lot of abortion procedures. But anyway, we need, we need to end it there. So thank you so much for being available, and we might have a long conversation another time. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Bye. Bye. Okay, that's it for today's show, and uh, look forward to uh, talking to you next week, and stay tuned now for Beyond Zero Emissions. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper. Green Left Weekly provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to Green Left Weekly and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call one 800 634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Thank you for listening. You are tuned to 3CR Community Radio 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au.